Hello, it's Shahid here and welcome back to another podcast. A big thank you for all the lovely messages you've been sending me about this year's podcasts. I'm really happy that many, many, many of you are enjoying them as much as you are. Please don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you listen to podcasts and do write us a review if you have a spare 10 seconds. It really does help. Just to finally say that our final deadline for this year's award show is this Friday, the 15th of April. So if you want to celebrate your best work, your best talent, your bravest clients, there is still a little bit of time left to get those entries in. If you don't have anything, then obviously don't worry about it. Right on to the episode. So today we talk to Matt Eagles and Matt is head of patient engagement at the Havas Links Group, a healthcare agency based in Manchester in the UK. Uh, Matt was diagnosed with Parkinson's when he was seven years old. And from a distance, I've always been a massive, massive fan of him. I've never spoken to him before, don't know him at all. And I was so excited when he agreed to talk to me. And I don't want to ruin this episode for anyone, but we really get behind Matt's life, all his struggles, his life learnings. And I've got to say, he made me feel so proud to work in the healthcare communication space. Just being in the same industry as someone like Matt was so inspiring. And I believe that anyone who works in healthcare communications, when they get to the end of this episode, they will feel exactly the same. And anyone who doesn't work in healthcare communications who gets to the end of this episode will want to come into it. This podcast also contains some stories of self-harm. Be aware of that if that is likely to affect you in any way. Right, I'm going to stop talking now. Let us know what you think about this episode. I absolutely loved recording it. It was... It was so wonderful, so lovely. Anyway, let's get to it. Enjoy. Well, welcome back to another Creative Floor Awards podcast. It's Shahid here. We have the wonderful head of patient engagement from the Havas Links group, Matt Eagles. Hello, Matt. Hello there, Shahid. How are you? I'm all right. The sun's out today in London, so it finally, I think spring's here. I think you could be right, you know, because it's actually sunny near Chesh- in Cheshire as well, which is quite unusual for this time of year, I have to yeah. admit. Oh, is, it, is it you're in Cheshire? I'm in Cheshire, yes. I'm not in there. I'm actually based out of the, our Manchester office. Yeah. But I sometimes it's just easier for me to, rather than have like a 30-mile commute, or 60-mile there and back commute every day. God. Yeah, it, it it just saved a bit of time just to work from home a few days a week. So, yeah, yeah, isn't Cheshire where all the rich footballers live? Allegedly, yes. No, no, they do. <laughs> and you? <laughs> yes, and me. Yes, I have to say, I'm a, <laughs> I don't quite have their wealth. I must admit, but I wish them good luck. <laughs> well, you, you you've got a different types of wealth right you've got the more important wealth so, well uh, I'd, li- I'd like to think so yes i'd like to think so <laughs> totally well look matt i've i've been a massive massive uh, fan of yours follow you on twitter I, I i see all the posts that you do and i was just so chuffed when i got in touch with you just have a chat on this podcast and when you said yes i was i can't tell you how happy i was um yeah as i say i'm a bit of a fanboy and i guess most people in the uk who work in the health and wellness advertising communication space will have heard of you and probably 
like me follow you on on social but we have a global audience so a lot of people perhaps outside of the UK might not know too much about you your day job you know what you do and yeah. and I thought it'd just be fantastic to hear your story uh, as I say I've always wanted to chat to you I've, I've seen the wonderful work the wonderful campaign that you've been recently part of called Parky Life that's an ongoing campaign I have ongoing to campaign yeah totally you're very open about living with Parkinson's obviously you're, you're a huge ambassador but I guess before we get to all the amazing work that you're doing now and Parky Life and all the, all the, all the fantastic things that you do, I would absolutely love, um, selfishly, to get behind the early years about you, find all the things that not everyone would necessarily know about you. Uh, is that is that all okay, Matt? That is, that is perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. How far do you want to go back? <laughs> Well, I mean, I'll get, I'll go. <laughs> I was born. Do, 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 I reveal, do I reveal my age? Yes, I will. Uh, right. Well, I'll, I'll start from the beginning. I'm 53 years old. I'm a white middle-class male and I have Parkinson's. Not that's unusual, you may say. But according to my digital health records, my GP says on the 7th of November 1975, which was my seventh birthday, I had Parkinson's, which which is incredibly unusual. Um, It's a strange one, really, because I regard myself, and I know this might sound to any of the listeners out there very odd, but I regard myself as being incredibly lucky because although... Having Parkinson's isn't a whole deal of fun a lot of the time. I don't have any of my life to compare it with. I don't say, ooh, I used to be able to do this. I used to be able to do that. Because everything I've done growing up, going to school, going to university, um, working and what have you, I've done with Parkinson's. So I have I have no I have no no bitterness, shall we say? No, no, and I've never tried to hide it. I've never never been ashamed of my symptoms. It was just me. I'm wobbly. I walk funny. Um, I look drunk. Sometimes I was drunk. <laughs> Obviously not seven though. But I think <laughs> I think the thing is you. It's fair. You can learn from history, but I mean, I was super lucky because I was all as, as as a lad. I was always encouraged to do everything. I was an, I lived in the countryside in Macclesfield. I was brought up in Macclesfield. I was I was always out outdoors. I played a lot of sport, but this is what this is bizarre because this is when they well my neighbours and my headmaster at school first noticed that I was looking at. Well, not behaving a bit oddly, but my balance was off. I couldn't stand still in assembly. I suddenly lost all my speed at rugby. I was, and what, and then, <laughs> this might sound very, very odd. But what hurt me the most was I, I would, I would love to have been a footballer. And I, and I, I loved playing in goal. But I, it was getting to the stage where I was actually diving after the ball had gone in the net. 
not not consciously, but simply because my reactions had gone so slow that I would. I mean, it looked spectacular to me, but and I was generally making an effort for the ball, but I would, I, you know, I wasn't very popular with my teammates, and I was always last last to be picked. So. Yeah, yeah. So seven seven years old. I mean, that's a really really young age, right? What? I mean, did you even did was Parkinson's even a a, a known thing back then? Well, no. This 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 is the whole problem with young onset. We, I mean, I'm I'm a, a trustee of Spotlight Young Onset PD, which is a registered charity specifically for young onset. We be, genuinely believe that it's like a different category of Parkinson's. It is Parkinson's, but it's a different category. It man, I mean, how can a, a disease that manifests itself predominantly in people over sixty—that sixty, I think sixties, the average average onset age of Parkinson's—manifest itself in a child of seven? I mean, it's pretty odd, but it's a strange one, really. I mean, there's so many, and there are really are so many unknowns about Parkinson's. And I don't really want to particularly focus on on Parkinson's, but it has people say, "Is there a silver lining to having Parkinson's?" And I genuinely believe it. For me, I wouldn't be talking to you now if I hadn't been diagnosed with Parkinson's and gone into the healthcare communications field. Because I think I've found my calling's made me a much more empathetic person. It makes me I have a, I have a desire for I I love adrenaline. I love to challenge myself. I think, and I don't know I don't know about you, Sheed, but if I'm not doing something that's slightly challenging myself or making me th- sort of really think about what I'm doing, you know, I don't. You can kind of go into a malaise in life. I think. Or you can just sort of go, it's, it's, it's a strange one, really. I do, I like to challenge myself. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 so interesting, isn't it? It's it's like, not to sound cliched about this at all, or make it trivial, but it's almost like, in my experience, I'm a, I'm a little, not too far away from your age, but like in, the, in our sort of worst moments, like in life, whatever those moments are, it actually helps us to grow and kind of create, like more room for extraordinary things. Do you, do you, do you know I, what I mean? I, 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 yeah, I totally und- I totally agree. Totally agree. I mean, I don't think it's. I mean, everybody has challenges in life. Crikey! I mean, I get asked several times, "How do you cope with your Parkinson's on a daily basis?" And I will return the favour. Well, how do you cope with problems in your life? Yeah. <laughs> we have, we have, we yeah. have a choice, really, don't we? We either choose to deal with them or we don't. So when you were growing up, then were there were you connected to other kids at your own age with Parkinson's, or were you on your uh, own? The, the, <laughs> this is the joy of well, the joy of digital health, really, because I went over twenty years not even knowing anybody else had this anything vaguely similar to myself. Wow, um, and the the, the digital revolution if you like has really opened the eyes of of the world to healthcare. i genuinely believe that yeah 
because I know people, I know hundreds, if not probably into the thousands of people now with Parkinson's globally who, who without, without the assistance of the internet and social media, I would never, never have heard of. What difference did that make? It makes, makes, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have every empathy with people with, with, with rare disease because who maybe aren't, are struggling to get diagnosed because it's a sense of belonging to a community and just knowing, knowing that, you, I mean, I prefer to sort of know that I've got a positive diagnosis, whatever it may be, than not have a diagnosis at all. Because, you know, you know, there are people looking after, out for you. There's all sorts of charities, there's help groups, there's communities. And it, it's it gives you say it gives you a sense of belonging and a sense that really people care. And I think that's super important. Obviously we kind of started at seven, you got the diagnosis, you hadn't really sort of met anyone like you or with your condition for twenty, twenty years. At what age did you feel that you could do something to help people or be a be a voice or be an ambassador was there a turning point or was it just something that you just gradually find found yourself doing i think it was something i i kind of gradually found myself doing because there just there just wasn't the awareness of particularly parkinson's disease and when i was younger anyway all i was concerned about was getting i mean to coin a phrase all i wanted to do was get busy living <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know i wasn't really i had this really really annoying thing that was happening to my body but having said that though say there were i must tell you it's a funny story actually because parkinson's is very debilitating physically but when you grow up dealing with these um all the physicalities of the disease and having to move your own legs about and move your body about you, I actually have grown, well, I'm not as strong as I was, obviously, but I grew up with very, very strong arms and, and back and shoulders because I was constantly having to move my legs about. So that said, at school, I found that I was really good at arm wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I might not have been very good at sport. Wow. But I used to arm wrestle the rugby, not all the rugby team together, but members of the rugby team in, in at school. And I could beat most of them simply because I was so used to literally the physicality of the Parkinson's every single day. And it made me super strong. And there's only like two or three people I could never beat. And that kind of, I think it that that sense of belonging that I mentioned earlier is very important, particularly when you feel a bit like an outsider. I mean, I've, I've always been encouraged to get involved in everything, and I was um, I I was uh, involved in the school choir. I was involved in school plays. I was, you know, I tried. I was never discouraged, put it that way, from doing anything. So, to me, I was just just trying to do the best I could every day. So it sounds like it was quite a, a nice upbringing. Oh, yes. I mean, I've had, honestly, I've been super lucky. I mean, I was adopted at 18 weeks old from Liverpool. 
and my parents, who I've always obviously known as my parents, yeah, have just been absolutely brilliant. Uh, <laughs> and it's it is funny because they've always done things. I mean, they might not have done them deliberately, but I mean, I've had music lessons. I've got a bit of a music background. I'm not very good at music now, but I've had that opportunity. I've also I've also had um, speech and language therapy, which the reasons behind that weren't because they knew I'd got Parkinson's and it might affect my voice. It was simply because my mum hated my Mancunian accent as a young boy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and uh, she wanted she wanted me to be a... I think, well, she did, because I went on to do a law degree, actually, but I think she wanted me to be a barrister. So, uh, What made actually, you go into, into law, then? My mum. <laughs> oh, really? It wasn't... Okay. Basically, yeah. Um, actually, I know this is going to sound pretty unprecedented for your podcast, but the one of the poems that I, because I used to have to read poems and speech and drama festivals, and one of the ones that uh, I first won a cup for, I actually have close to hand. And if I may, yeah. there is method behind my madness. Yeah, let's hear it. I'd love this. Yeah. And it's called Noah and the Rabbit by Hugh Chesterman. And I won first place in the Alderley Edge Music and Drama Festival in 1977. Wow. With this, and I shall, I'm going to read it to you now. Great. Noah and the Rabbit by Hugh Chesterman. No land, said Noah. There is not any land. Oh, Rabbit, Rabbit, can't you understand? But Rabbit shook his head. Say it again, he said. And slowly, please. No good brown earth for burrows and no trees. No wastes where vetch and rabbit parsley grows. No brakes, no bushes and no turnip rows. No holes. No upland, meadowland or weald. No tangled hedgerow, no playtime field. No land at all, just water, Noah replied. And Rabbit sighed. For always, Noah, he whispered. Will there be nothing henceforth forever but the sea? Or will there come a day when the green earth will call me back to play? Noah bowed his head. Some day, some day, he said. That's it. There is to say there is there is method behind my manners because I've done a Parkinson's version of the same of the same poem when Parkinson's is no longer a, a problem. So that's that's why I read that out to you. Wow, well, I've but, got an applause here. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never had that before. There you go. There you go. Well, that's lovely. So when is the last time you read that out? Was that back in nineteen seventy-seven? <laughs> I wish you. I have I have read it out on on uh, speech and speech and drama therapy to the Movement Disorders Society. Oh well. Wow. When I did it, I did a seminar for them. Um, when was it? It was two thousand and seventeen, I think. Two thousand seventeen, and that was at the hospital where I go anyway. Um, but I mean, it goes to show that. Being sort of creative can come in all shapes and sizes because 
Parkinson's, I know this might sound a really, really, I keep saying this, might sound a strange thing to say, but it unlocks a latent creativity amongst many, many of people who are diagnosed with it. This might come in the form of writing poetry, might come in the form of writing prose, it might come in the form of photography or crafting, but it does. And there are some incredibly talented people with Parkinson's who, who, who might not previously have done any sort of drawing or art or creative work at all. But, but since their diagnosis, it's triggered this real sort of creative side to them, which a lot of people don't know. And there is research to prove this, in fact. Wow. Um, is there a type of therapy associated to that creativity as well, do you think? I think well, yes, I think art therapy and I think art art therapy and ballet movement and just being just being able to express yourself in in any way that you feel is possible for you and can because it, Say Parkinson's is one of the most frustrating, and it's a full body. It's it's much it's like anything, any sort of ailment. Where it's full body. I mean, it doesn't just affect your movement; it affects your mood, it affects your breathing, it affects your your body temperature, it affects your. I mean, but there's so many things it affects. So you have to you have to treat it holistically. You can't just throw solutions at it. You have to sort of think, treat the person as a whole. Yeah, totally. So I'm getting, I'm, I'm starting to build a bit of a, a lovely picture here. So obviously born kind of in the 70s, get diagnosed. 60s. 60s, 60s. late 60s. Yes, my maths <laughs> is awful, isn't it? Yes. Six, <laughs> 68, yeah, right, I guess. Yes, yeah, six, 68. Yes, there you go. Caught yeah. up. You've kind of, you got diagnosed very young, but you had, you, it seems like you were, you were in a very loving family. You know, school life was very supportive, as supportive as it could be. You said something really interesting, which I thought was pretty phenomenal, like, because you couldn't really compare it to anything else because, you know, it's no, never no. really new. So t- so I guess you're kind of at an age now where, you know, um, your mum's basically telling you you've got to go and get a real proper degree. Where did you go and do law? Well, I actually went to the City of London Polytechnic uh, which is based in Norgate in central London. And I was doing an LLB honours degree in business law. However, <laughs> as, as is very similar in a lot of things in my life, it didn't quite go to plan, um, as I didn't actually complete my, my degree. However, it was the start of me actually standing up and sort of believing and being able to sort of talk about issues that I genuinely felt were important and not having opinions forced upon me and then trying to placate what people were trying to sort of try and say things that I thought people would 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 agree with um and that was one of the beauty. Basically, I got asked to vacate my place on the course. Now, there were reasons behind that. Um, A, because I was trying to do exams um, that were four four hours long. I had to do five essays in four hours, which is, is pretty, pretty common for law. However, I was in a room on my own 
I couldn't add a scribe. Now, if you've ever tried to sort of talk for nearly four hours to somebody next who sat next to you, yeah, you don't know from Adam, you don't recognize their handwriting. Basically, I had a scribe and I found it incredibly difficult to write or to re- sort of dictate five essays in four hours to somebody I didn't know, I couldn't read their writing. And I just, that in conjunction with the fact I'd seen so many miscarriages of justice, not simply because people were taking advantage of other people. Barris is essentially are actors, yeah? And and I knew that, because I'd done it myself in when in, as part of my degree, I could out-argue people simply because I was a more confident person. I didn't necessarily have the facts to win the case, but I could put doubt in the audience's mind about what my rival was saying. I put enough doubt into their minds that, that their argument wasn't sound. Now, that I mean, I know it's this has been the way of the law for centuries, but to me... Being able to out-act somebody, which is essentially what the law is all about a lot of the time, if you have a, if you have a switched-on barrister, isn't justice to me. And I got really, really dis... I saw it happen so many times, and I used to go and sit in the old bailey and listen to cases, and I saw so many cases where I thought, this is just absurd. <laughs> wow. So... And I think that that was really the beginning of me sort of really wanting to make a difference. And I say it took it took several years of um, years and years, in fact, of me working in another sort of uh, part of part of the workforce in in, in advertising funded publishing to then get found by Mr. David Hunt, who got me into Havas, which is which is the best thing that really, apart from my getting married, that's ever happened to me. I'm in my absolute element. I'm able to, well, there's just so many, I'm, I'm just in my element. That's all I can yeah. say. Well, I mean, Dave is a, is a sort of very good friend of the show and he's been on a couple of times and I'd, I think I would like to get onto him and your relationship with him in a little bit. One thing that you've just said, which has sort of blown my my mind, if I'm totally frank with you, is the bit where you said that you were the most confident and that was the thing that kind of uh, acknowledged uh, on this course. Because when you just look at what you've just said in terms of like your, you know, how you brought up and stuff, it, yeah. how, where does that confidence come from? Because when you look at it, it's like, okay, I've, I was adopted. I've got Parkinson's. I haven't met anyone in twenty years who's like me. Blah blah bloody blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? It's like all the all these sort of like major things that would kind of maybe not not provide someone with the greatest of confidence. But you obviously sort of got it in abundance. How how on earth did you get that? I think it it boils down to I don't know depth of character and simply regarding I didn't regard myself as any different from anybody else and I don't think I was ever allowed to think that really but certainly I mean obviously I read my poem out before but from the age of six seven I'd had elocution lessons I've been I've been in I mean I obviously 
at these speech and drama festivals, I, I couldn't stand up in front of the audience and recite my poem. I had to sit down on a chair. Now, I was also asked to read in assembly in front of the whole school, like maybe 500 people often. So I'd got a public speaking confidence from a very, very young age. And I was also, I don't know, I was a bit cheeky. I was a bit sort of, a bit, a bit naughty. I, I love to make people laugh. I always have done. Um, so I think I'm, I'm a people person. Do you know what I mean? I love, I lo- I'm, I'm, I don't like being, I can tolerate my own company. I have to sometimes, <laughs> quite often if one, now, because if my legs are bad, but I'd much rather be with lots of interacting with lots of people and having fun. And I think as growing up, that was the way I always was. I'd much rather be out sort of in the union bar with my friends or trying to play football or watching watching my my football team West Ham play, which I did I went went to virtually every game when I was when I lived down in London, which is <laughs> tremendous. <laughs> but that that again, I think it was because I mean, I was, I don't know, I just didn't, I was young and I'd carefree, I didn't worry about the consequences. And for example, I remember going to a, going on the tube, on the bus, on the tube, and then walking down Green Street, which is down to the Upton Park Stadium. And I couldn't, and I was staggering and it looked like I was drunk and I got approached by two police officers. And I'd gone on my own to the game because I love West Ham that much. And, um, these two police officers, once they'd established I wasn't, in fact, drunk, gave me a chairlift all the way down Green Street into the ground, <laughs> gave me a program, said, enjoy the game. And that, yeah. that to me, <laughs> which is beautiful, yeah. honestly. Yeah, yeah. But nothing really phased me. I don't, I don't really know why. But you know, I mean, I've, since then, I've, I've done, I've done skydiving, up skydiving, I've done wing walking, I've done up, up selling, I've canoed, I've, I've been super, super lucky with my whole. It's more than my whole life experience, really, you know. And I think, not if I'm adventurous by nature, I think. I guess maybe your surroundings had a lot to do with that too, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a proper bit of combination between na- nature and nurture, I guess. Absolutely. Um, Although my sister, my sister was very, it was quite different to me, and uh, she she works in the industry as well. Ironically enough, she's a bit older than me, but um, she or she works. She, well, I, I can't actually say where she works, but she works. Or I'll say she works in pharma. Shall we say? Um, but. Um, no, she. I mean, she. She is the. She's the. My. She's not my birth birth sister, but she's my legal sister, and I love her to bits. But she is quite different to me, and I think, I guess, possibly one of the reasons why I'm so outgoing is because when I was so young, when I was first diagnosed, I spent many many weeks in hospital. Um sort of crying myself to sleep at night to the the theme tune for Coronation Street. No, because I didn't like Coronation Street. That was because it was my bedtime in a children's hospital. Oh, right. And wow. um, 
and they were trying to really prove that it wasn't Parkinson's or that, you know. So I, I guess it, it comes down, I guess, to kind of a resilience, a kind of a and a drive to drive for life, I guess. Because I, I always strive to be happy. Do you know, it, it really struck me when I just heard you talk about the confidence bit, because it, it seems to be a, a common thread with a lot of people that I, I generally tend to talk to, not just on this podcast, but just in general. And, and confidence certainly seems to be a big, a big Achilles here with many, many people. And I, when I just heard you talking about this abundance of confidence, I just thought I'd just, uh, I'd just go a little bit deeper just to sort of see where it came from but obviously it's not coming from just one place it's a number of different facets but it's it is amazing I think it's hugely inspirational for anyone listening to this who might be and we all struggle with our confidence every now and again like we're all yeah, human sure. aren't we absolutely we you do know? yeah yeah but I think it's yeah as you've just sort of very articulately said it's it's it comes from a number of different places but I think most importantly it's the mindset of like you know, how you want to get up every day and, you know, feel and all those sorts of things. So, I mean, I, re- I, re- I mean, I describe myself in my LinkedIn profile as a positivity activist. <laughs> nice. <And> I, th- <laughs> I, I yeah. pinched that from somebody and I can't exactly remember who it is. So I do apologize. If anybody's listening out there that said they're a positivity activist, <laughs> I pinched your title. <laughs> but, I, but I genuinely believe it because talking a little bit I know we jump but I'm jumping the gun a bit but talking talking a bit about sort of parky life it frustrates the heck out of me well not for it no it doesn't frustrate me it upsets me to see people who to who feel ashamed of not going out because they have a I mean it doesn't have to just be Parkinson's it could be anything really why why do people have to hide who they are and why and what you know why do people have to hide away yeah it's it's a great question i guess it's because we're so conditioned growing up of like sort of worrying about what other people think right and yeah it's i mean i'm obviously just simplifying that but i mean that's essentially what it boils down to but then when you kind of pose that question it's obviously you kind of we sort of always end up in the same place where it's like well who cares <laughs> like fundamentally well, yeah, exa- yeah exactly i mean i think this is one of the biggest issues in healthcare about it's all about people's perceptions and um perceived biases as well i think you got to be People have got, I don't, I say people have got to, no, they don't have to be because everybody's different. But I think if you, if you can focus on being the best person you can be and try and, and try and be as confident as you can be, I mean, I, I've, I'm not frightened now of saying things that have happened to me in my past, good and bad. And I think talking about stuff really does help. I mean, I, I mean, I've been through some pretty, pretty, pretty. Low, I've been in some pretty low places in my life, um, but being able to express and tell and tell the stories on shows exactly like this shade, you know. I mean, people might think I'm a really, really happy guy, but I went through a stage of blackening my own eye, and I used to 
I, I can remember lying in my bedroom, not feeling really anything with a knife, and I just cut, and cut crosses in my arm because I was so, I don't know, I was so frustrated about my own situation. I didn't do it to get noticed or anything. I just did it because that, at the time, it was a release for me. And um, it nobody, nobody, it, I got a few comments. I didn't do it for comments or anything like that. Like that. I just did it because, like I said, it, it released some kind of inner pain that must have been circling in my body. And it was almost like once I'd done that, it, the pain had gone. It was almost like exercising some pain. And obviously, when people said, oh, what have you done that? And I go, oh, just fallen over or just, just cut my arm or whatever backs. And that was enough for people. And that was enough for me. That was enough for me to say, right, I've, I've, I've moved past that bit now. I move on. I go again. Mm. How, do, how, do you get, how do you move on then? Um, consciously, I just, I don't know. I guess. When the bruising goes, well, obviously, if you blacken your own eye and you, you punch yourself enough times in the, in the face, it, it, the pain goes away gradually. And it's then you get, it's almost like punishing yourself temporarily for, for your situation. And I think it's super important to, to make people, uh, obviously, having, having chronic disease is not your fault. But I was just so frustrated with the, my whole situation, and once the pain had gone away, so the so, so the feeling. I mean, if people. I mean, I think Frank Lampard broke uh, broke his hand punching something last night for Everton. That wasn't in frust- the frustration. I don't think, but it was. You do things in the heat of uh, of emotion that release. I don't know, I guess it must be chemicals or release something that that then makes you be able to heal, if that, if that makes sense. I guess there's, all, again, you know, I'm just sort of spitballing with you, as I say, but I guess there's sort of like moments in our life where, you know, we kind of, we can just sort of sit down and just look at all the bad stuff that's happening. We can kind of find meaning in it or we can find no meaning in it you know I, I was I was watching this thing the other day or reading probably and it was it, it was an interview with Christopher Reeves you know the yeah, the, yeah. the Superman actor yeah. you know obviously he had that accident where he basically ended up you know being in a wheelchair for life they basically interviewed him and said what difference is happening has it made to to your life and he said this unbelievable thing and I'm sort of trying to sort of bring it back to where you're in those dark moments versus more positive moments. And he basically said, probably going to mess this up now, but it's like life is, is, is meaningless or it has meaning and this has a meaning for me. So it was almost like he saw it as his next chapter. This thing had happened to him for a reason and he was going to find meaning in it. And I think we can all find ourselves in that situation where sometimes we forget like why we're in certain positions and we either yeah. find meaning or we don't find meaning. So maybe when you're in those dark moments, it's like, well, cause you sort of sometimes, or we all forget the meaning of, of why these things are perhaps happening to us. 
I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of my perspective on it. No, I, t- I totally get where you can. A lot of it is about acceptance as well. Yeah. If you can't, if you constantly f- are fighting against negative thoughts, it can be incredibly destructive to your mind. I mean, I think just, I mean, if you, I mean, I'm a big believer in helping other people. I mean, sometimes when I'm, when I'm, when I'm speaking, I'll say to the audience, think of a time when you helped somebody and, and you, you just leave it a few seconds and people think and think, yeah. And I said, how did it make you feel? And you have another pause and people, you see these sort of the the grins come on people's faces, because helping other people makes you boosts your own happiness. Because you, it's I don't know. Well, from a from a medical, but I don't know why it does it. But I think it's just being kind to people. I think because the same people people are so sort of suspicious i mean i i live in a on a in an estate in cheshire and sometimes people walk past and there's no communication there at all and there might be a reason for that but if you just say morning have a good day or smile at people it is incredible the effect it'll have on you just by just saying hello how are you it's nice to be nice are you okay yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so simple, isn't it? But you, you you hit on something really interesting there. This coincides with something I was reading quite a while ago, and it was this really interesting article on like when when did civilization happen? Was the question right? Right, like, that's a big right? that's a big me. <laughs> it's, it's a big. It's a really interesting question. You know, you're talking about well, you know, helping people makes you feel happy, but then if what what it sort of triggered for me was like well this article that i was reading which posed this question it was like when did civil society happen and when was the moment mm. that civilization happened right back in the days when we were cavemen or or whatever and there was this hypothesis which i thought was really interesting and it was civilization essentially happened the moment where a human basically wouldn't die on the result of a broken leg right wow. so, which is really yeah. interesting when you think of that right because yeah. obviously if you break your leg you're you're now going to be uh, potentially food <laughs> for, for other yeah. animals or whatever yeah, exactly uh, yeah you can't eat or anything like that so actually the sense of community and the sense of helping others is kind of yeah right i'm going to look after shaheed now because he's broken his leg and we're going to try and feed him and give him water until it heals so that's really interesting and i think that psychological effect if you sort of fast forward hundreds thousands of years does make us smile because it's kind of like why we're here right if we're not here to to pull people up from maybe where they are or, or to help them out then we're kind of just living a bit of a selfish existence aren't we and, and kind of what's the point of that because that doesn't benefit society Oh, anyone, right? So I think there's something really lovely that you said there because I think it's just so it is it is fundamentally within our DNA. I think totally. I mean, you just have to look at what's going on in the Ukraine and the response that people. Yeah, it's incredible. People love to help people, other people, and 
Moving on a little bit from that, I mean, we're doing a project at the moment to have our Slinks group called Health for All. We've created a platform to tackle the ongoing challenges around equity, diversity and inclusivity in the world. And I think this is so important. It's important to make every... Firstly, to acknowledge that there are inequalities in everything that we do, in social and cultural education, gender, ethnicity, religion, and age, and this this these persist in healthcare. But if we can if we can recognise and can create a general desire to sort of overcome these personal biases. We can really strive to make people aware of them and the impact they have on our work and on others. And I think it's, it is, I mean, when in my own sort of field of Parkinson's, people regard in, Af- in some African countries like Uganda and Kenya, if you have Parkinson's, you're regarded as a pariah. Really? You regard, yeah, it's, it's like witchcraft simply wow. because of your movement. And I'm not, this, that wasn't, um, this, it's a genuine thing. It's regarded, I mean, I find it quite astonishing. And then people don't have access to the same medication that somebody like myself would have as a, as a white middle-class male. And it, I feel, and again, I feel, I feel so lucky in so many respects. However, I have a genuine desire to disrupt the 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 status quo and sort of really help help people who are not in a position to sort of either shout out for themselves or in, you know it's and this this feeling is is not is not for my own personal gain it's simply because I'd I've had so much help along my own journey that I want to be able to help other people and make them have their best lives if they possibly can. Let's go back a little bit because obviously you're doing a lot of amazing stuff where you are at the moment, but I'd really love to get to where you met Dave Hunt. So (laughs) yeah, let's, let's go, let's go relive that (laughs) a little bit. Yeah, no, it was quite bizarre because, I mean, I've I've done several um, interviews and sort of PR work for Parkinson's UK over the years, including a bits of telly, bits of bits of uh, for North BBC Northwest Tonight, um, and I'd, anyway, so I was doing another piece for Parkinson's UK, courtesy of Wilmington Healthcare, actually. And I was interviewed by a chap called Sean Morgan. Cracky, I'm going to say, I want to say Hughes, but I'm not entirely sure if it's his second. And I apologise, Sean, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it was in my living room and the Havas, uh, a team from Havas, their, their film crew, had been invited to sort of film this uh, for as part of a... Part of a a conference that was taking place at Heathrow Terminal 5. Now, I got on so well with Sean. We did the whole um, in the whole sort of interview in one take without any breaks or anything. And it just came so naturally. And this uh, conference, it was film... Sorry, beg your pardon. The 
when the film was broadcast at the conference in uh, Heathrow Terminal 5, Dave came up to me afterwards. Obviously, I didn't know him then, but he came, I'm Dave Hunt. I work at Habas. I think we can help each other. And I took his business card. And the next thing I know, he's contacted me and um, I'm doing, uh, I'm being interviewed as part of their, it's uh, part, part of their an, an annual kind of, um, I'm getting brain fog now. This is another part. Right. Take your time. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so frustrating. We, we have a, a learning um, network at Havas and it, Oh my goodness, this is, this is terrible. I can't remember what it's called. That. The oh, I know what you mean. Oh, yeah. It's you have link, the, yeah, Lynx Academy. Academy yeah. That's and it. Yeah. How dare I? I mean, this is another, <laughs> I'm going to blame that on my Parkinson's. No, it's really. Friday. It's, it's, it's been a long week. Don't worry. It's, yeah. yeah. So I was interviewed in the Lynx Academy as, as, a, as a guest. And oh. uh, it went down so well that. Dave asked me to become part of the team and sort of help out a couple of days a week and just really give some perspective to the patient outlook. Because I, I say, I'd, I'd said in, 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 in the interview that I was desperately keen to, to give something back. I mean, after the time, I think it was about 40-odd years of having Parkinson's, having quality health care, I really was in a position to say, listen, I really want to give something back here. And I think this is the environment I can do it in. So, yeah, Dave is totally... And Dave, Dave gave me so many different roles and things to do while I was there. I've hosted focus groups on on oncology and... Sorry, I beg your pardon, on immuno-oncology and all sorts of different things. But Dave really challenged me to... to uh, challenge what I could do, challenge my beliefs. And he put me under, don't get me wrong, he put me under a lot of pressure, but I think secretly he knew that I could do this. And he gave me the confidence and the wherewithal and the platforms to be able to perform and to be able to get my message across, not just for me, but for fellow patients as well. And that I, I owe Dave a great deal of gratitude now. I, I hope he listens to this and, and uh... <laughs> hi Dave, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, hi Dave. <laughs> I know he, all I, I hear from him okay, well quite often now, but it's usually about football and he's usually ranting about the the poor form of Manchester United. So, <laughs> but uh, I have no sympathy for him because he. Well, I do actually. I do, to be fair, because <laughs> my son supports United, and he he gets quite grumpy as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Gosh, well, my son's just become a Man United fan. He's only eight, though. No six. He'll 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 yeah. learn. He'll learn. <laughs> he'll learn. Yeah, he's only yeah he's only young. He's only small. Yeah, that's great. So when you're in these meetings with clients, yeah, I imagine you're coming across as quite the authority. Is it quite rare for, to, for anyone to? ever push back on on what you say um no it is really i mean i i'm more likely to push back on what other people say because simply because it's not because i'm rude it's not because i'm it's generally because i have a thirst for knowledge 
And I remember one one particular meeting that we were in, and I shan't name the, the customer, but it, it they they the lady who I was sat next to in the meeting was looking at her phone and looking a bit disinterested. Standard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, I, but I actually quite a bit, I found it, I actually called her out on it and I said, is there, is there an issue here? And the, the reply came out, well, yes, she says, we have no time and no budget. So I said, well, okay then. And I, I went into this kind of scenario. I said, listen, I have Parkinson's and I fall over a lot. Now, if I didn't get if I didn't get up every time I fell over, I would probably die. There are always ways around things if you really want to do them. You can either go over the obstacle, under the obstacle, around the obstacle. If it, where there is a will, there is always a way. And Dave, Dave was in the meeting as well. And they said, he said to me, I said, I cannot believe you've just said that. <laughs> I said, why not? I said, yeah. this is one of our best clients. And I said, well, maybe it is. But honestly, I want the business as much as you do, Dave. But if they don't, if, you know, they need to know that we're here to help them just as much as they're here to help us. And if we're that, if we're wasting our time, then we and you know they don't really want it in this huffing and puffing. Then we need to find out because we're just wasting everybody's time. And I think it's important. And I, I generally wasn't. I just generally wasn't being rude. I just generally wanted to find out what the issue was. Mm. What was their response then after after that? <laughs> um. A bit of huffing and puffing and a, and the smiles from some of the other members of their team. We actually got the business in the end. But it, I don't like calling people out, but when people come up with excuses which you know you can get around if you really want, if you, if you really want to do something, you know, it's like, and I, I didn't. I wasn't trying to embarrass anybody into making a decision, but I just use my. I'm, I'm brutally honest and brut- brutally vulnerable, but I'm always super enthusiastic. Otherwise, I, w- I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. It's because I genuinely care, and I'm genuinely enthusiastic about what we do. That you know, if there if there is if there is a problem, let hey, let's get it out on in the table. Let's discuss it. And if there is a solution, let's find, and we both sides want this solution, let's find it together and let's move on and let's make some difference. You you touch on a very, very important point, which I think a lot of people end up forgetting as they sort of, you know, stay in this industry for a certain amount of time is you sort of touched on it earlier. You said, you know, you, you wanted to give something back right you, you were there yeah. for a reason like you you didn't have to be there if it was just something that was just going to pay the bills do you know what i mean you were there for a yeah. purpose and and actually calling out clients sometimes when you know they're getting their phone out or it looks like they're just being a little bit unnecessarily rude or, or whatever regardless of how much money they spend 
we could all earn money in a completely different way if it was just about nodding our heads and just agreeing to you know whatever madness comes out of somebody else's mouth or, or whatever yeah. but but we are about making the product you know we protect exactly. what we do yeah. with our life like I, i've sort of used this analogy on on previous podcasts so i apologize but you know you'll pay four quid for for the best coffee in the world as long as it stays the best coffee in the world do you know what i mean yeah yeah so it's great that you've still got that passion and you've still you know you're as you say super honest but you do it because you care you're not doing it to be rude you do it because you <laughs> you, you give a shit you know yeah well that 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 is exactly it and I sometimes I get so passionate. It worries me that there are people in meetings who don't, because they don't appear. I mean, they probably do. Well, maybe they don't care quite as much as I do. <laughs> but when when you are in meetings, it, it is obvious who who really who really. I mean, if you could see me now, I'm, I'm, I'm my hands are going. I'm getting. I'm so passionate about this, and when. It's almost like when, if you support a team and somebody's not cheering as much as you are, you know, they they maybe do care, they but they maybe care in a different way. And I don't condone anybody for that. But then again, people say I'm too 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 enthusiastic, and 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 I don't believe you can care too much. No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. And I tell you what, I I I worked client side last year and right, yeah. the amount of pitch it was so it's very strange right i've been agency side my entire career now all of a sudden i'm behind the other side of the table and agencies are pitching to us for our business right and, right and and you could see the 99 of the agencies basically all agreed with all the insanity that was coming out of the, <laughs> yeah. the, the mouths of like the team that I was working on. And they were, it, it almost got beyond a joke actually, where the, the one agency out of like 20 or 30 agencies that were pitching while I was there, the one, the one that said no, the one that pushed back, the one that had a perspective, the one that really kind of like went against the grain of like just nodding their heads, you know, to, to any single thing that came out of our mouths were the ones that you fundamentally respected because you were like okay you've got a perspective here you've got a point of view you're coming across as the expert you're really sort of putting us in our place you've got our respect it was just yep. instant and i think a lot of agencies forget that they kind of just think if we don't say yes if we don't sort of just go along with the flow we're going to lose the business fundamentally you're not going to lose the business you know you don't get you, you go to a doctor because you want their expertise and their experience you, do you know what i mean so you want somebody That's to tell you so i think but um no no i would totally agree with you because i mean just because a you know an agency in a pitch might disagree with a client or whatever else they are there because they want to make a difference to that client they want to help that client make make a difference themselves and yeah totally that's what's one of the things i learned through my to my through my career if if you say yes to everybody or you you give an answer that you that you're thinking will help your case that doesn't work you have to be honest with people and people respect honesty and transparency yeah 
Yeah, totally. Completely. Well, because there's not much of that in the world right now, to be fair. No, <laughs> yeah, it's a rare commodity. I, I, <laughs> I mean, we laugh, but it, and it's so sad. I mean, you hear yeah. different... I mean, it's... I remember um, watching a programme about... Uh, they had an audience watching a crime and then they interviewed everybody and the crime went ahead. And they, it was an experiment, a social experiment. And they interviewed people about what had just happened and what the person looked like and everything else. And the amount of different responses was astonishing. So people, you have to be so careful how people perceive your own message. And I think not everybody's going to perceive your message. Even if if you have a group of, say, 20 people, they'll all, most of them will perceive it slightly differently, which I think is a good thing. But it makes our job as an agency quite tricky, really. However, it just goes to prove that every every patient is different, and every 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 person is every person's unique. Every healthcare professional's new unique, and it's just getting it's getting the right blend of people to like-minded people together. Completely. So, so Matt, how long have you been at Havas now? Right, since 2016, yes, 2016. So, And I wish, I mean, I find it astonishing, actually, that when I'm looking at, I've done so much in, in, in my time there, but I find it astonishing that people don't have, I mean, I've worked in a different industry, so I've, I've got something to compare it to. I think it's the best, the best and most fulfilling job I've ever had in my life bar none bar none and I absolutely love it and I would do it and I was going to say I would do it for free but I <laughs> we'll edit that bit out don't <laughs> yeah edit that bit out please <laughs> simply because I, I mean I genuinely feel I mean we do make a difference I mean, I mean it's, sometimes it, it's super frustrating but other times it's it's one of the most joyful careers you can ever you can ever imagine. When you get, I mean, I've had, I mean, say regarding Parker, I've had some, some amazing feedback. I know it's a pro bono, but it's one of the most. This 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 is one of the one of the things about projects and campaigns that that agencies do. Some of them are just so outstanding. You just wish they would continue beyond their campaign date. Let's talk about Parky Life. How did it come about? When did it come about? And yeah, let's talk about that. Well, Parky Life, Parky Life came about really through myself and one of the, the creatives at uh, Have Us, Lou Shipley, who is brilliant, by the way. She's such a talented, talented lady. But I used to come in, and one of the ways I used to deal with my everyday sort of just like making a cup of tea, spilling it. I used to try and write an amusing story about how I'd made this cup of coffee and how it had gone so wrong. I know that sounds bizarre, but... And it used to make people laugh, which I mentioned earlier. I love making people laugh. But it was also a brutally honest uh, version of how things are for me with Parkinson's every day. Now... One thing I was telling Lou one morning about a story that um, 
where I'd been trying to step into my pair of underpants and I'd ended up hopping hopping around the room and then falling on the floor. And my wife had been watching me in hysterics. <laughs> now, and the, so it came, I was telling, tell, and I don't know why I did, but I do. I just tell people, I share sort of stories that I think will make people laugh that are true. Anyway, Lou, Lou, uh, Lou illustrated and we called it the Parky Pants Dance. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it went on for a while. And basically, I realized that this this was a thing when we, we were going to collect hacks, tips and funny stories to make people feel better about their diagnosis. Uh, and it actually came to a real head where I was sat in Houston Station Assistance Lounge. Now, I was, I was suffering quite badly from dyskinesia, which, for those of you listening, is really involuntary movements. It looks quite wild and it looks, it looks strange. Anyway, I'm used to it. I've had it for years and years. Now, there was a chap who and his wife's, I think, I think it was his wife, but, and they looked very, very sad, and they were just sat opposite me in, in the waiting room. But the guy was was twitching a little bit like I was. And me being me, I sort of noticed that there was a seat spare next to him. And I thought, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if he's got Parkinson's because it's like seeing seeing a seeing a long lost friend across a crowded room. You kind of have an affinity for people who you think are the same as you or think or you have an affinity with. So so I like sort of staggered across the room making a big noise and everything excuse me do you mind if i sit down he said no no i said i hope you don't mind me asking the question but have you got parkinson's disease and at the time his head was down he's looking very very sad and he said yes i have and I went, yes so have i he's like hooray hooray <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and his head his head his head lifted up and we got into this conversation and his wife came, got involved as well and I said, how long have you been diagnosed? And he said, I've only just recently been diagnosed. And he, he, I said, he'd just come from an appointment. And I said, I said hey, you got Parkinson's. It's not the end. It's not good, but it's not a catastrophe. And uh, we ended up swapping social media things. And I thought, well, how can this, this person look so sad when... You know, it's not the end of the world, but it's actually down to the actual kind of educational materials that abound on, on, on the internet. Because if you Google Parkinson's, you get an old man, and it's by Will, it's an illustration by William Gower, and it's from the eight, I think it's 150 years old, nearly 200 years old. And this is what the students are being taught and these are the educational materials that, that are available to people who Google Parkinson's. And he hadn't been given any, so I thought, right, sick of this. This, I mean, imagine how a woman feels Googling Parkinson's. I mean, I know Asian women, I know African women, I know African-American women who, all ages, who've been diagnosed with Parkinson's, how on earth does an old white guy and slippers make them feel? So I thought, right, I'm going to change people's perspective of this. Stop people um, or try and stop people feeling so real, so, so 
try and stop the stigma, really, of, 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 of the diagnosis. So I actually rewrote the lyrics to Park Life, the song, <laughs> uh, as well, which I... <laughs> which... Um, it sounds a strange thing to do, but that started off, and um, I'm just trying. I'll see if I can find them now, uh, and I, I'll read that read the new version out to you. But it, it is quite. Uh, it's not that different from the, the the original. It's something so powerful in what you've just said. I, I remember when I was working on some HIV stuff a few years ago and I really wanted to kind of get my head into it. So I spent some time meeting people living with HIV and I remember going down to a sexual health clinic in, in London and I met the, the chap who basically headed up the sort of patient HIV unit there. And he he was amazing He because this guy actually was living with HIV. He'd been living with it for about 30 years. And he said, basically what happens, he said, you know, people come in, they get their sort of diagnosis if they've got HIV with the doctor upstairs. He then gives them a prescription and then he gets them to come and speak to me. And he said, basically, they all come down to see me and they think they're going to die. And so he says, the first thing that I do is I literally put my hand out, shake their hand and go, hi, my name's, I can't remember what his name was now. My name's Bob. I've been living with HIV for 30 odd years whatever and they kind of look at him and go what and then all of a sudden he he, <laughs> he said like uh, he said that he couldn't really sort of quantify it but roughly he until he told them at least seven times that you know this wasn't a death sentence it wasn't yeah. what they thought it was just because of you know again lack of education like just him being this ambassador of hope and education made a fundamental difference to their life and it all yeah, obviously there's a parallel with what you're doing and I think it is just so wonderful because you're so right like people it's Dr Google again isn't it it's like going on there it is and I think I think one of the one of the one of the hardest things is the SEO for Wikipedia is that strong and that good is that whenever you search Google that's what it comes up with it comes up with that picture every time and it's so so frustrating so Going back to Parky Lot, and I'd love yes. to read my new lyrics. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. But, okay, if you can, do you, do you know the tune of Park, Park Life? By yeah, Blue? of course, Blur. Yeah, 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 yeah. of course. Yeah. Okay, these are my new lyrics, okay? All right. Empathy is the key for the habitual voyeur of what is known as Parky Life. And morning soup should be avoided if you want to take a straight route through what is known as Parky Life. John's got dodgy legs. He gets intimidated by the dirty pigeons. They love a bit of him. Parky life. Who's that staggering along the path looking drunk? Oi, mate, you want to lay off the alcohol? And he goes, all the people, so many people, they all go hand in hand, hand in hand through there parky life i cannot get up when i want to and on wednesdays i get rudely awakened by the dustman parky life i fall over putting my trousers on and spill a cup of tea before leaving the house parky and it goes on i feed the pigeons whilst trying to eat my lunch i sometimes feed the sparrows too 
It gives me a sense of enormous well-being. And then I'm hungry for the rest of the day, safe in the knowledge that at least my dropped sandwich didn't go to waste. And it goes, so many people, they all go hand in hand, hand in hand in their parky life. It's fantastic. <laughs> You're using all my sound effects now. There you go. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> That's it, fantastic. <laughs> I went round the, I, because I'm connected to global, I'm a global advocate for Parkinson's. I just spoke to, you see, the beauty about parky life is it's got hacks, tips, funny stories, not only from fellow patients, but from PD nurses from from consultants it's got then the the illustrations are just so beautiful i mean they that we sent they we sent briefs out to agencies at, like jelly in london and uh, local agencies in manchester and the response has been phenomenal every i think we've now got well over 60 odd illustrations and there's so many more we can do um and they just that each each illustration is unique, just like everybody's Parkinson's is. But I mean, some of the things we've done. I mean, we've even looked into. We produce like packs of cards, and we have Parky Peaks, Parky Peaks, Parky Hacks, Parky Peeps. So and it's it's produced as a deck of cards, really, and it's a deck of positive thinking from the Parkinson's community. And there really is nothing like it in the whole Parkinson's well, world, really. And I would really love to take it so much further. Um, but obviously, it's pro bono and we're, we're relying on people's goodwill. Um, but I, I, this is how much I genuinely believe in it. I actually have, Shahid, the... Logo, the Parky Life logo tattooed on my leg. Have you really? <laughs> I do, yes. And, one, and I actually have one of the illustrations that was done um, uh, with one of the pieces of advi- advice that was sent in, and it's called Be a Guru of Slow. Oh, nice. And it's got like a, um, a sna- it's like a, sna- a snail which has been designed by a guy who worked well i don't know if he still works somebody certainly used to work for them at hardman animation so it's like a if you can imagine their kind of style of character it's a snail that looks like that and underneath it says be a guru of slow (laughs) and i've got that tattooed on the back of my calf but this is how much i genuinely believe in the in this in this in this brand if you like it is fantastic. I mean, you know, anyone listening to this can go to parkylife.com yep. um, and check out all these amazing illustrations. And, and please, yeah. please scroll. There's so many. Scroll down to the end, click on them. They turn around, they give pieces of, pieces of advice. There's, there's, there's hacks, there's tips, funny stories, there's parky peeps. Well, I must admit, one of the funniest ones, though, and I still think it's, it is one of the funniest ones, is a guy by... Professor John Stanford, who, who was studying, he's a scientist, neuroscientist, who actually was, was looking into the causes and, and, cure, and potential cures for Parkinson's. And he actually ended up getting diagnosed himself. But he tells this story of being on a crowded tube station. And uh, he was at, I don't know which stop it was, but that, that's not important. But the doors opened and he gets onto the tube. And a guy sort of, 
gets up out of his seat and sort of says, you can have my seat. And John, John sort of politely sort of puts his hand out. No, no, thank you. Thank you very much for offering. But no, I don't need it. I'm, I'm okay at the moment. I'm okay. And then all of a sudden the door, you know, and he, and he says, you know, please, please keep your seat. Please sit down. And the door's shut and the train goes off. And the chap turns around to John and goes, but that was my stop. <laughs> yeah. uh, nice. So he gets out of his seat, obviously, to let John sit down because he's getting off. And then says, no, 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 you know, I don't need to see. And the, these are the kind of things people need to know. You know, they sort of just brighten your day, do you know what I mean? They really do. What would you like to do? with Parky Life next. <laughs> you could do a shout out for anyone listening to this if they want to help you or get involved. Well, really, and it's a I would I would love to be able to to get more cards done, more illustrations, get some merchandise out there. But I realise with I mean it will open a can of not worms, but it, it it's difficult to do because of the nature of the project. But it it's it, it's grown beyond all our expectations, really. Um, but is there I, a conflict if anyone wanted to get involved because it you did it at Havas Links, or was, was that kind of is that okay if other agencies want to come in and help? Um, I would have to run that one by <laughs> by the team that that help out with the running of it. But uh, I mean, I. I would love it to become a global phenomenon. I really, I said, I didn't have it tattooed on my leg because I, it was a whim. <laughs> I had it tattooed on my leg because it does genuinely make a difference. I've got an idea for you, but I'll, I'll share it after the uh, the podcast with you. I've got a, I've got an idea of what you could do with this. Could be oh. really awesome. Oh, fantastic! Please, please, <laughs> just teasing, <Okay. laughs> just teasing everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think. Go, just going back to working at Havas Links, I mean, they really are. I, I've learned so much about the healthcare world, the healthcare industry, and exactly what goes on. And the standard of work is phenomenal. I mean, it really is. And I say, quite often, we don't just see enough of it. Sometimes there's just campaigns, but some of them could last a lot longer. And I genuinely believe that. But the the power to do good is huge. And when you have a platform like, like we do have in this industry, I think it's important that we, we take advantage of it as much as we possibly can. Matt, is there anything else you want to cover or talk about? I would love to read my Knowing the Rabbit by Matt Eagles, the parky version, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if people can remember when, if, if they're still listening to the podcast now, which yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure I'm sure they are. But I'll read <laughs> well, even my, if it's just you and me, it's fine, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> and I'll read now the My Parky Life version of, of Noah and the Rabbit. And this version is not by Hugh Chesterman. It's by Matt Eagles. No parkies, said Noah. There is not any parkies. Oh, rabbit, rabbit, can't you understand? But rabbit shook his head. Say it again, he said. And slowly, please. No tremors, no stiffness, and no apathy. No spillages, no anxiety, no sleepless nights. No staggering, no falling over and no pain. 
No massed expressions and laboured speech. No walking sticks, wheelchairs or bathroom aids. No parkies at all. Just happiness. Noah replied. And the rabbit sighed. For always, Noah, he whispered. Will there be a day when there is a cure for parkies? And will there come a day when the green earth will call me back to play? Noah bowed his head. Some day, some day, he said. Wow. I'm, I'm going to give you another applause. There you go. <laughs> That's fantastic, Matt. That, that, that to me sums it up. I mean, I, I, I hope there will be. And I'm sure there will be, but you know that. I mean, the the analogy to the to the young the poem that I won the cup the award with in 1977, to and this this updated version that I've done towards Parker Life. I mean, it. I mean, it generally means that. I mean, that some of the some of the um, the the. the, the, the I don't try and think, try and think of the word for it. some of these symptoms and what have you that I mentioned. They're so debilitating. It'd be just so good that if they weren't there anymore. Do you know what I mean? And I'm sure it's like, but with a bit of positivity and a bit of parky life and a bit of happiness, you can certainly reduce how they. You can't reduce the symptoms themselves, but you can reduce how you respond to them. You can you can respond. You have to fight them. You can try and strive to be happy. That's, I think that's my best piece of advice. And don't be embarrassed about anything. Anything, just go for it. Fantastic, fantastic. Anything else, Matt, you want to cover before we conclude? Um, I don't think so. I'd just like to thank, thank you very much indeed for having me, Shade. Thank you for the, the opportunity. Thank you so much to have us links group more than anything else. Because if it wasn't for them, I mean, I wouldn't be in a position to be talking to you now for a kickoff. And um, I think they do an amazing job. And as I said, they, this platform that they've recently cut, we've recently in Health for All, No One Left Behind is such, such a powerful thing that we've done. And if anybody wants to have for more information, Look at no one left uk, and it's just really opening up the conversation about diversity and inclusion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's um, it's 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 been completely my pleasure today, Matt, to to chat to you. I've been wanting to do this for a long, long time. I'm even more inspired than I expected to be. If I'm totally frank with you i think you've taught us so much about being a positive activist how you know it's good to wear your heart on your sleeve the power of vulnerability the power of caring and having a purpose and uh, you've also shared that you were you know manchester's arm wrestling champion uh, so <laughs> <learned a lot. laughs> i go as far as my school but that it's a nice thought anyway were you ever into uh WWF or any of that sort of stuff. I, I, well, I, I we went to watch it a few years ago in the Manchester Arena. Yes, it's. Uh... Uh, okay, I'm going to give you, you. You probably know who Brett the Hitman Hart is. Oh then, yes, right? I know Brett the Hitman Hart. Okay, yeah. so I'm going to give you a little special Brett the Hitman Hart shout out. Hi, this is Brett the Hitman Hart. 
You really are the excellence of execution, and you are the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Congratulations on a job well done. There you go. Well, I'm honoured. I'm honoured. There you go. There <laughs> you go. See, you're the first person uh, who's got a, a, an ad hoc Brett the Hitman Heart creative floor shout-out. So, well, uh, I congrats. am. Totally. Thank you ever so much. I'm using all my sound effects today <laughs> on you. So I've, I've run out. Lastly, Matt, I just on behalf of everyone listening to this, because I'm sure they're going to be absolutely inspired by this conversation. It's been absolutely amazing. Anyone who wants to help Matt with Parky Life, please do get in touch with him. Where else can people follow you, Matt? Do you want to give any shout outs to any of your social yeah. platforms? Um, yes, if I may. It's, uh, you can follow me at Matt eagles underscore parky life on instagram that links to the parky life underscore official page as well just all i can encourage people is don't hide away be honest and just be happy and be kind we couldn't have uh, ended on a on a better note thank you so much matt thank you my pleasure thank you very much indeed for your time it's been it's been a joy <laughs>